Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. On tonight's show, we will hear from folks who are at the front lines of Oakland's new soda tax, making sure that it addresses the epidemic of diabetes and other health impacts from too much sugar in our diets and the racial dimensions of this issue. On tonight's show, we'll hear from key leaders from the Sugar Freedom Project who have gone door to door in East Oakland involving the community in setting priorities for the NIS, for this new fee on the sugar industry. We'll also hear Sugar Project members from the Oakland Food Policy Council, the East Oakland Collective, and Roots Community Health Clinic. And finally, we have the chair of the newly created Soda Tax Advisory Board in Oakland, the body which will make recommendations on how to spend up to $10 million for each of the next 10 years. All that tonight on Full Circle. I'm your host, Darlene Pagano. Stay with us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Full Circle. To start our show tonight, we'll get some background and context from Francis Calpatora, who is the coordinator of the Sugar Freedom Project. He'll then be talking with Dr. Noha Abulata on the work of Roots Community Health Clinic, a primary member of this project. Here's Francis. Recently, Oakland joined an increasing number of municipalities in the United States and globally in adopting a soda tax as a tool to decrease the consumption of sugary beverages, which is linked to chronic illnesses like diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. San Francisco, Boulder, Albany, Seattle, Philadelphia, and Oakland have joined more than 30 countries, including Colombia, Mexico, South Africa, and Thailand, to curb soda consumption and stem the influence of the beverage industry. The health impacts of drinking sugar-sweetened beverages have been well documented by prominent organizations like the American Health Association, the World Health Organization, and the American Diabetes Association. Sugary drinks increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and other health problems. A report from the Harvard School of Public Health states People who consume sugary drinks regularly, one to two cans a day or more, have a 26% greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes than people who rarely have such drinks. The report further gives a graphic example on the impact of diabetes if left unchecked. In the first 10 years of the Iran and Afghanistan wars, 1,407 American soldiers had amputations due to the war. In comparison, in just one year alone, over 13,000 Californians had amputations caused by diabetes. In a 10-year period, over 130,000 amputations were caused by diabetes just in California. Since 1983, sugar consumption in the United States has been increasing by 28% every year. 
it is conservatively estimated that one out of 10 Americans today are diabetic or pre-diabetic. The average American consumes 150 to 170 pounds of sugar each year, much of it from liquid sugar in the form of high fructose corn syrup found in soda. Each of us drinks 53 gallons of sugar-sweetened beverages each year. The problem is so pervasive that in California, 46% of adults or 13 million people are pre-diabetic, meaning that 70% of these folks will develop type 2 diabetes if left untreated. And another 9% or 2.5 million adults have already been diagnosed with diabetes. The two groups represent a majority of the state's adult population. Meanwhile, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, and the American Beverage Association spends hundreds of millions of dollars every year to promote its products, often targeting children who already consume significant amounts of sugar. And according to a recent New York Times article on this subject, the industry has spent $107 million at the state and local level since 2009 to beat back soda tax and beverage warning label initiatives. Even when confronted with mounting evidence to the contrary, the beverage industry continues to assert that these initiatives not only fail to reduce health impacts, they lead to higher unemployment by squeezing industry sales and unfairly burden the poor with higher consumer costs. But voters in places like Oakland are not buying the industry lies. In November 2016, 61% of Oakland voters approved Measure HH that levies a one cent per ounce tax on distributors of soda, energy drink, sweet teas and juices, and sweetened water. The measure seeks to raise eight to $10 million a year for the next 10 years to battle the health impact of sugar sweetened drinks, especially in neighborhoods most affected by diabetes. Dr. Noha is the founder and CEO of Roots Community Health Clinic in East Oakland, which is ground zero of Oakland's diabetes epidemic. This is an interview with Dr. Noha Abuelata from uh, Roots Community Clinic, the founder and CEO. Thanks again for doing this interview. When you heard that Measure HH passed last November, what came to mind? I think the first thing that hit me was unity to actually get people to think twice before purchasing sugary beverages. I think we see so much in the clinic of people's health being directly impacted by overconsumption of sugar. So my hope was that, like the taxes that were imposed on tobacco products, that this would actually result in a decrease of use of soda and other sugary beverages. Tell me a little bit about Roots Community Clinic. What does it do and um, what uh, have you seen around the illnesses like diabetes in your patients? Roots Community Health Center is um, located in deep East Oakland. We're here, we often say we're here on purpose. We put ourselves here because this is one of the areas that uh, has had the most long-standing poor health outcomes, particularly for low-income African Americans. And we really um, designed all of our programs and services in an effort to um, directly address some of the inequities, systemic inequities, but also to really directly address some of the health disparities that we are seeing. You know, as both a uh, 
as a doctor, but also as the director of Roots Community uh, Health Clinic, is that uh, you've definitely seen the impact of the oversaturation of sugar in people's diets that result in illnesses like diabetes, obesity, heart disease. Can you explain to KPFA viewers what is the why does it affect and impact? you know, poor people and especially kind of people of color and, and here in East Oakland, primarily African-Americans. Why does that kind of uh, illness get so concentrated in, uh, in low-income people of color? Yeah, it's really, it's a complex question actually, but there are some genetic sort of predilections to certain things such as high blood pressure. And certainly when you have multiple diseases sort of coexisting, then I think that can, can lead to poor outcomes. But I think in general, you see disproportionality across so many things. And I think when you factor in poor access to healthy food, um, poor access to safe spaces to play, limited access to resources, including healthcare resources traditionally, you see sort of a disproportionate impact. And so I think all of these things together, of course, are also compounded by sort of disproportionate predatory marketing of some of the industries and so we see a lot of parallels with the beverage industry, the sugar industry and the tobacco industry who have disproportionately marketed to communities of color, youth of color and so forth and so I think when you combine sort of poverty and poor access and then the comorbidities so having diabetes and hypertension for example is much more likely to lead to kidney disease and this is much more common among African Americans and then combined with sort of the marketing tactics it's sort of all recipe for disproportionate impact. Dr. Nahal, you know what are your thoughts about kind of why East Oakland is has the highest diabetes rate in all of Alameda County? Well certainly I think um, Lack of access to fresh foods is a big factor. I think many of our patients have to cross multiple liquor stores and fast food establishments before they would reach a, a healthy food grocery. Um, and when you compound that with uh, limited transportation, uh, poor access to childcare, um, then I think the barriers can become rather insurmountable. Uh, and when you have easy access to cheap food, which includes, of course, soda, then that often becomes sort of the choice by default, if you will. I think the other issue is really not enough safe spaces to get exercise and to play outside. So I think, you know, for many people having having to commute to, to work out or find a safe space to walk, again, uh, poses another huge barrier to physical activity. And so between physical activity and nutrition, I mean, those are two of the key things that we really need to be able to address. I think once we have someone uh, diagnosed with diabetes who now has to try to implement a diet that is healthier, we see a lot of struggles. We see um, family members struggling to try to create meals that are going to be healthy and palatable for the entire family. So I think education and skill building is a part of it, but I think the real structural issues around actual access uh, to fresh food and safe spaces to play are, are some, of the, some of the areas that we have a promise of actually addressing um, through this measure. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Noah, for the time that you put and the work that you do uh, on behalf of the community. Thanks, Francis. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that background, Francis, and for doing that interview with Dr. Noha. We can look into the history of the sugar industry and track so many developments in world history, many detrimental to human health, and now being addressed specifically in East Oakland.
The sugar trade has always been especially devastating to people of color. Beginning in the 16th century with the enslavement of African people to be transported to the sugar cane plantations of the Caribbean and the tropical parts of the Americas, dispossessing the native populations of these areas for their lands. The growing of sugar developed the practice of chattel slavery, which then became an economic model for numerous industries in Europe and the Americas for the next three centuries. We have a poem for you that was written in 1826, describing the work on a sugar plantation in the West Indies. It's titled, The Black Man's Lament, or How Sugar is Made. There's a beauteous plant that grows in Western India's sultry clime, which makes, alas, the black man's woes and also makes the white man's crime. For no, the tall gold stem contains a sweet, rich juice which white men prize. And that day might this sugar gain, the Negro toil and bleeds and dies. But when the crops are ripened quite, tis then begin our saddest pains. For then we toil both day and night, through fever burns within our veins. Our task is next to catch the juice, in leaden bed soon as it flows, an instant lest it spoil for use, it into boiling vessel goes. While cooling, it begins to drain, or form in crystals white and clear. Then we remove the whole again, and to the curing house we bear. Molasses there is drained away, the liquor is through the hogged has poured, the scum falls through, the crystals stay, the casks are closed and soon on board. The ships to English country go, and bear the hardly gotten treasure, Oh, that poor Englishman could know how Negroes suffer for their pleasure. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM KPFA. You just heard Laura Echegaray from Full Circle reading Black Man's Lament, an 1826 poem by the English abolitionist Amelia Opie. We now have a conversation about the Sugar Freedom Project with the folks who have been working door-to-door in East Oakland, making sure that the priorities of the most affected communities will guide the use of these tax monies. We have in studio Francis Calpatora, the project coordinator, and organizers Lorena Camona, Nancy Hinojosa, and Charles Reed. Let's start with Francis. Tell us about the genesis of the Sugar Freedom Project. Thanks, Darlene, for having us at your show tonight. Um, when I analyzed the election results in Oakland in uh, the past election in November 2016, um, I saw that there were a lot of um, um, social justice issues that were that um, that they that the voters had in front of them from the strengthening of the police um, to uh, resources for affordable housing and, um, and the soda tax as well. However, kind of when I looked deeper into the results of those elections, um, there was only one contest or one result that um, wherein white people outperformed people of color, and that was on Measure HH, which was the soda tax. 
And when I dug a little bit deeper into what those numbers meant, that uh, Measure HH or the soda tax in the November election, um, 65 out of the 270 precincts in, in Oakland voted down, defeated the Measure HH, even though it passed by 61%. And that 70% of those precincts that voted down Measure HH were concentrated in districts 6 and 7 in, in Oakland, predominantly areas where low-income people of color reside. Um, and and where the concentrations of poor black and brown families are, also had the highest con- concentration of consumption of soda and the highest concentration of the rates of diabetes. Um, so working with Roots Community Clinic, uh, the Oakland Food Policy Council, and uh, our friends from the East Oakland Building Healthy Communities, we founded the Sugar Freedom Project to do two things primarily. One is we wanted to involve those most impacted by the diabetes epidemic to help set priorities for the soda tax. And to us, that was kind of an important value. The second part that we wanted to do with the Sugar Freedom Project is that we wanted to help rebuild kind of the social and economic infrastructure in East Oakland, which has had a history of being disinvested um, by the city and, uh, and being targeted by the industry. So the first thing that we did for the Sugar Freedom Project is we pounded the pavement. We went door to door, knocking on doors in precincts around Roots Community Health Clinic. And we wanted to ask people uh, in face-to-face conversations about what they knew about the soda tax and what priorities they would want to set for the allocation of the soda tax itself. And one of the first people that was involved in going door-to-door um, uh, in early part of this year is, um, is Lorena Carmona, who is with us tonight. So, Lorena, you were one of the first ones uh, to go out in East Oakland talking to neighborhoods. What was that experience for you, and what did people say? Um, thank you, um, Francis. So when we went um, door to door um, serving the community of East Oakland, we found 40% of the respondents are diabetics, 67% of the respondents um, drink soda compared to other sugary sweetened beverages. 39% of them drink one or more soda a day. 71% of the East Oaklanders voted no on Measure HH. However, 75% said they would switch the vote to yes based on the information provided by the Sugar Freedom Project. Personally, I am at risk of diabetes. I have family members who are diabetic. We need this project to educate our community so they can educate their family, friends, and loved ones. Thanks, Lorena. Lorena, I know one of the first people that you knocked the doors on and, and, and talked to is Nancy Hinojosa, and Nancy is with, her, with us here tonight as well. So, Nancy, when Lorena knocked on your door, what grabbed your attention? What made you interested in this particular project? Yeah, once again, thanks for having us. Um, I was actually very impressed um, being in a neighborhood, a tough neighborhood like East Oakland, um, 
you know, walking and、uh, going door to door, you can get all types of responses.、Um, I remember being really open to hearing it.、Uh, there was this perseverance that I seen, dedication, there was a lot of passion. So、um, I wanted to listen. And when she started to talk to me about the Sugar Freedom Project and the soda tax initiatives, I, I wanted to be involved. And I remember telling her, you know, let me know when you guys have a forum or when you have a meeting. I'd like to be there.、Um, and so, not long after, she went ahead and gave me a call. And I showed up to one of the first fir-、uh, focus groups that they had with、um, the community and the neighborhood in East Oakland. And I was so impressed, so blown away that、um, I. Had to make sure to somehow get involved. So,、um, you know, it just, it's just by happenstance that I'm actually an independent artist myself and I wanted to、uh, go ahead and lend my talents out,、uh, not just as an artist, but as a coordinator to be able to get the message out in innovative ways. So, Starting from getting door knocked to now being a part of the Sugar Freedom Project and really impacting the youth and impacting、um, people that、uh, we look up to、um, in the independent industry as well.、Um, so, one of the things that I did in work with the Sugar Freedom Project was、um, working on, on, on the cultural side. We started、um, and began, it was very successful. Finished the uh, first uh, Sugar Freedom Pro- Project music concert, and we had,、um, uh, we had Oakland resident Gift a Gab as our headliner of Black Alicious, and we had a Deuce Eclipse, a Z Man. Uh, Kayla Love, Unlearn the World, What's Real, Beats, Rhymes in Life, and of course myself, Nancy Perel.、Um, and it was very successful, and, and I'm excited to be able to do that even more. I'm excited to bring much more. And shout out to Unlearn the World and What's Real, because、um, next year is a great year for starting a collaborative with Sugar Freedom Project. And so there's so much more. So quite exciting, and thanks again for having me. Thanks a lot for your participation, Nancy, in making sure that the, that the message of the Freedom Sugar Project really kind of reverberates in our communities. One of the people that joined us、uh, more recently is Charles Reed. Charles、uh, has been involved with the Sugar Freedom Project, with working with Roots Community Clinic. And ha- Charles, you've been reaching out to organizations and churches and telling them about this, this effort.、Uh, can you tell us a little bit kind of what you've done and what are you hearing? From people out in the community. Well, thank you,、uh, Francis. After、um, doing 30 years in prison, I came home with the determination to help my community. And Francis gave me that opportunity by bringing me on to the Sugar Freedom Project. And through that project, I've met some of the most tremendous spirited people that I could have ever imagined existed. And what we came together on was we needed to help our community heal itself. And through the churches that I've spoken to and the different community organizations, we've come together in this movement to make sure that we take control of our destiny. What we decided to do was to gather petitions so that we could bring these petitions out to the community and then take them to the Sugar Freedom Project,、uh, to the advisory board, to let them know. How we feel about what goes on in our community. And let me tell you this, Francis. I met this one girl, a special person named Brittany. And Brittany wanted to help us perform our task. And I asked Brittany, could she do it? 
And I wondered why she hadn't been doing what she had said she would do. And I stopped by her home, and I saw that Brittany was having problems with her employment. And so I told Brittany, come down to the Roots Community Health Center, Brittany, because it's not about how much you can help us, but how much we can help you. And through the Roots Community Health Center, Brittany found a job. And that right there, to me, was the pinnacle of what the Sugar Freedom Project is about, because it's about helping people. Thank you, Charles. Um, you know, it's that kind of comprehensive and holistic approach of uh, organizing and empowering our communities that will really turn things around in addressing kind of this epidemic that is uh, uh, happening and besieging our communities. Um, you know, I just want to do kind of a quick go around with folks. Um, um, now that the sugar tax has been um, has passed, right? It passed last November. It's going to give out $10 million a year for the next 10 years. Can you quickly say kind of what are your hopes for this tax? What do you want it to do? Um, if we can start with um, with Lorena. Yeah, I, be- I believe the community needs health education so they can make decisions for themselves instead of having the zip code make their health decisions. Yeah, I think that's really important. And just to add to that, a community building, um, creating a network between education, agriculture, and distribution, creating jobs. Uh, it's so important to be able to have that in, um, in Oakland and the Bay Area and to find innovative ways to spread the message and to build trust. Because sometimes we have a problem trusting and Sugar Freedom Project is a place um, that you'd want to know more about and you want to be a part of because you want to see you know, Oakland grow and become vital again and promoting good messages. Um, So definitely creating the network. I was born and raised in East Oakland and I see the despair and I see the disparity. And what I want to see through the Sugar Freedom Project funding is that it creates an opportunity for us to reach a level of economic sustainability that helps us rebuild our community, that helps us rebuild the hearts and the spirits of the people in the community, because a healthy community is a hopeful community, and East Oakland deserves to be hopeful and healthy. That's right. So... For me, it's like you know, the, the soda tax allows us to answer this question. Um, can the soda tax halt and reverse the diabetes and obesity epidemic in East Oakland? But not only that, right? Can it be an opportunity to help us sever the grip of sugar that has really oppressed our communities for such a long time? And I, we see this as an opportunity to be able to do that. So thanks again to the work of the folks at the Sugar Freedom Project for making this reality in East Oakland and uh, looking forward to working with everybody on this. Yeah. Thank looking you. Looking forward to it, too. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you all for your work in getting the soda tax money to go towards addressing the needs of those most affected by all the negative health outcomes in communities, especially targeted by the beverage industry. I'm glad to hear your stories. Folks, you are listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA, and you just heard from members of the Sugar Freedom Project in their effort to organize folks in East Oakland around the use of the soda tax funds.
We're going to take another break now to hear just a few highlights from an unusual children's book. This is Mr. Sugar Comes to Town, La Visita de Señor Azucar, a bilingual book that demonstrates to children that high amounts of sugar have negative consequences on their health and behaviors. It also introduces the idea that sweets may be promoted to them as fun and tasty by the producers who know it may be harming children, but will do it anyway. Because of time constraints, we can only bring you a few highlights, which we hope you will enjoy. Here is Laura again, reading just a bit from the English version of Mr. Sugar Comes to Town. One warm spring evening, just as Grandma Lupe was serving her delicious tamales, the children heard an unusual sound. It was a magical tinkling sound. What's that? cried Alfredo. Let's go see, answered Alicia. They jumped up and ran out the door before Grandma Lupe could stop them. The strangest truck they had ever seen was parked in front of their house. It looked like a candy store, a bakery, a soda fountain, and a donut factory. Hello, my little sweeties, said Mr. Sugar. He was the driver of the truck. Would you like to try a tasty goodie? The children stared with big eyes. You mean... We can have anything we want? Certainly, my little sugar pies, said Mr. Sugar. But everything looks so good. We don't know what to try first. Mr. Sugar smiled. He had beautiful white teeth. The children stuffed themselves. They felt a little sick afterwards. But they could hardly wait for Mr. Sugar to come again. The next morning, at the sound of the tinkling bell, Alicia and Alfredo were first in line at Mr. Sugar's truck. They were first in line in the afternoon, too. From that day on, they were always first in line at the magical sugar truck. Foolish children, scolded Grandma Lupe. All that sugar is bad for you. But Grandma, they cried, we love Mr. Sugar. That might be true, children, but Mr. Sugar doesn't love you. What do you mean, Grandma? My foolish little children, you will see. That afternoon, when the magical sugar bell rang, <laughs> Grandma Lupe marched out to the truck. The children moved out of her way. Grandma Lupe took a step forward. Then she grabbed his nose and started pulling. Don't do that, he cried. But Grandma Lupe kept on pulling. At last, Mr. Sugar's face came off. It was only a mask. The children gasped. His friendly smile was gone. He had no teeth at all. Look what you've done, Grandma Lupe. You spoiled my plan. He jumped in his truck and dropped away in a cloud of sugar smoke. Mr. Sugar disappeared and everyone was happy. 
What do I care if those kids don't want me? Lots of people still love my sugar. You know what? Maybe I'll come to your town. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. You just heard some highlights from Mr. Sugar Comes to Town, La Visite del Señor Azucar, a bilingual book from the Bay Area's own beloved children's book press. Be sure to go to our website for links to all the projects and readings we're presenting here tonight. That's at kpfaapprentice.org, all one word, kpfaapprentice.org. Org. Next, we'll be hearing more on the projected goals for Oakland's collection of the soda tax. We get to hear now from Amir Abdul-Shakar of the East Oakland Collective, Shanice Alexander from the Oakland Food Policy Council, and again, we have Francis Calpatura of the Sugar Freedom Project. A little later... Uh, we're going to open the phone lines for your questions for this group. Uh, any questions you have about the upcoming soda tax and the work of all these Oakland activists. We'll give you the number to call soon. I'm going to open this up, you folks, with a particular question. And uh, this will be a freewheeling help yourselves segment. How does your particular group further positive health outcomes in East Oakland. Francis? Um, I would like Shanice to, uh, to start us off in this because uh, okay, the work great. of the Oakland Food Policy Council is really important. Go right ahead. Thank you so much for having us. Um, so the Oakland Food Policy Council is an organization that focuses on creating an equitable and sustainable food system in Oakland. And we do this through policy. Uh, so our work uh, surrounds procurement policy, urban agriculture, uh, food access, and then economic development and security. And particularly around Measure HH or the soda tax, OFPC played a big role in actually working with council members to move the uh, measure forward to put it on the ballot uh, before last November. And then as it had, once it passed, we moved forward to um, wanting to make sure that the policy was actually implemented appropriately. So our focus is to really, although our focus is policy, our focus is to really close the gap between what's happening in, in people's lives and, and the actual impacts of uh, the overconsumption of sugar and, and the policy that we're passing at the city level. Yeah, and I'm uh, Amir Abdul-Shakur for the East Oakland Collective and how we kind of, you know, got on board is uh, it kind of fit into what East Oakland Collective is about. And so what, what we are is a cohort of Millennial Plus that is trying to bring about change in East Oakland. And so our organization focuses on um, pretty much two different uh, groups, which is uh, economic development and then civic engagement and leadership, where, where I'm the, the chair. And so... This is, you know, really big as far as Oakland, as far as uh, the economic prosperity of Oakland, also the health. Um, the stats are, are there. And so when we heard about it, when we had the opportunity to join, we want to take the opportunity to, you know, speak out for the residents of, of the Deep East. And so, um, you know, this is very important as far as everything that's going on. I think uh, health is one of the biggest things that we're, that we're, you know, kind of, you know, focusing on. So. Great. Um, 
You know, one of the things that the Sugar Freedom Project uh, did was uh, we began kind of went door to door and and we surveyed 200 households in in the first, in April and May of this year, and what those surveys really showed us is that. Folks in the community want two priorities for for the soda tax and the way that it should influence their lives in East Oakland. One is that um, they want the soda tax to be invested in their communities. Right? So whether that's training people to do, you know, culturally appropriate health education, whether it's kind of developing a social enterprise so that fresh food can be produced and distributed kind of in the communities, that people really see this as an opportunity to build this, a, a social and economic infrastructure that has long been neglected in East Oakland. So that's the first thing is to invest in the community. Second is that they also wanted to make sure that uh, to lessen the demand for soda, and especially for, for young people and children in East Oakland. Uh, and that could be by limiting the advertisement of uh, the soda industry in the schools and the places where young people frequent, like the parks or the libraries, uh, but also in government offices and all that is to make sure that, the, again, this allure and, and, and um, of the soda industry can be severed. Right? But they also, folks, also want to say something to you say yes to, right? That, in fact, there are alternatives to sugar. There are alternatives to sugar-sweetened drinks that have that folks have been following and practicing in their communities for a long time and um, that's more organic that is actually kind of better nutrients for folks so folks also wanted to see kind of a popularization of alternatives to soda in communities so those are the two things that folks wanted to see happen in places like east oakland francis could um we don't have a, a representative from the Sugar Tax Board tonight, unfortunately. So I was wondering what you all can give us as a background for um, how much and how long the soda tax has been uh, collected now in East Oakland. And how can the community make sure that the city uses the money for uh, the outcomes that the residents want to see? So um, I'll actually jump in on that. So the city of Oakland actually started pulling down tax revenue for the soda tax July 1 of 2017. Uh, so as of last or the first few months or so, um, and this is public record, so anyone can uh, make a request with the city to, to find out how much money is coming at this point. But the last report that we had, it was around $2.64 million that came in between July 1 and uh, about the mid about mid October, so the money is coming coming in, um, and the sugar advisory board was put together and they convened for the first time in October. So they're still in the process of getting their process together. Um, their first meeting was October eighteenth. Their next meeting is actually going to be December eleventh, and those are open to the public. So on on my policy end, you know. Paying attention to what's going on in those meetings, you can go. You can go to those meetings. You can ask questions. You can uh, su make suggestions to where you would like to see the money going. Um, they haven't made it to that point yet, where they're going to be allocating. We, we actually want to uh, make sure that they create an equitable process for making sure the money gets to the folks who most need it. Um, and we know through lots of data that that's generally in East, deep East Oakland, um, based on the health disparities. So for 
for the public uh, pay, paying attention to what's going on at those commission meetings as well as, you know, if you have ideas or projects or you know people or organizations that would be uh, effective and could use the money to actually create a healthier community, we want, you know, to communi- communicate that to the city. But that's really a good question, Darlene, though, because folks are paying attention to how the city is going to spend the money. In fact, um, what people realized in the beginning part of this, when the city of Oakland was going through its budgeting process early part of this year, that unfortunately, the um, uh, Libby Schaff, uh, the mayor Libby Schaff, wanted to use this money to plug the deficit of the city. And there was an uproar. And deservedly so from people who fought for this hard and make sure that the soda tax goes to addressing the health impacts that it's supposed to address and f- and and pushed back on the mayor. Luckily, we won that fight. Luckily, the mayor backed up and said that, OK, um, uh, the, the, I'm not going to touch the money and it should be used for 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 what it's supposed to do. But as we know, that will take a consistent and persistent effort from everybody to make sure that the money actually goes to what it is designed to do. So uh, we have to continuously monitor and have good oversight on 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 the performance of the city on this. So that's why you know we have we have formed this uh, alliance or coalition of different organizations to make sure that that uh, comes through. Well, that leads to this question, which is where should the money go and why? What are the priorities? I'm looking for some specifics here. If we could go around and uh, let everybody have a chance on this one. You know, the priorities, I think, in in, in my opinion, is, you know, uh, mobile produce delivery, uh, farm to table, uh, co-ops. People want to, you know, to change their community. And I think this is a, a great opportunity to bring about some, you know, some long lasting sustainable change in East Oakland. Ongoing education. You know, if we start at the, the elementary school level, just like how they did with tobacco back in the day and be able to start from the ground up to be able to tell, you know, young people the dangers of uh, sugary drinks. You can make a, a systematic change through just education. Education. And that's one thing that we're really pushing for because it starts with kids that are in the elementary age. I have my son here who is, who is six years old, and we have that conversation. And so a lot of parents are also having a conversation with their children. Uh, and I think that's important. You know, holding this nine-member uh, community advisory, um, you know, group accountable for where that money is going to go. Ultimately, the city council has final authority. But if we don't show up and show out, then they can do whatever they want to do. And as we know, this $39 million deficit that Oakland has, that's where the funny business is. That's where that gray line is. And we really want to make sure that it doesn't go to this deficit, but it also goes to, you know, people who are affected the most by, uh, you know, sugary drinks and diabetes and so forth. Yeah, I think one of the most important things is that we we need to understand what the, the folks in the community are actually looking to have happen in the communities that they live in. And that's a big part of the work uh, that we're doing in collaboration with the Sugar Freedom Project is actually understanding what the, the people are actually wanting. Because we may have an idea of, you know, as um, nonprofits or as uh, advocates of what should happen, but if we don't have the buy-in from the community, then it's not going to be effective. So I think uh, what we've heard from our first focus groups and just talking to um, people in East Oakland so far, education, activities where parents and kids can um, both learn about the impacts of sugar, as well as exercise and, and opportunities that go beyond just 
accessing healthy food, but parks, um, having a safe place for, for people to go and play. And um, you, because you can actually reverse, the, you know, you can reverse the um, uh, food-related diseases many times, you know, how can we actually prevent and create a, a community that upholds uh, those goals? Well, just let me jump in here one second, talking about the community and what the community wants. Uh, we're going to have some time for call-ins tonight, and I want to let people call in and get in queue. The number to call in to KPFA is 510-848-4425, 848-4425. If you'd like to speak with these folks about any aspect of the Sugar Freedom Project. Thanks for holding on there, Francis. I'll put that back to you about the priorities. Yep. Briefly, luckily we live in Oakland and we have a long history of uh, doing stuff like this. Uh, the, Bla the Black Panther Party had a breakfast program, had the feeding program. They imagined how, in fact, they could, they could feed people in the communities as part of an empowerment process. And I think the soda tax can play a similar role. Uh, that um, that we can feed people, folks who are um, uh, low income and folks who don't have access to fresh food, but that as a process of an empowerment uh, process for them to engage in their communities and uh, and build a, a better future for themselves and their families. So I think that's the hope and that's the the vision that we have for the soda tax to uh, to play in the development and the strengthening of communities in East Oakland that have long been disinvested um, from the city. I know that there um, has been some pushback, including a legal decision uh, in Chicago, and I believe also in Colombia. The uh, sugar industry never stops undermining these initiatives. Um, what have you seen on this, and uh, what could be done to fight it. I think things are still um, waiting for decisions in Chicago, not entirely sure. If you can give any, uh, any updates on what's happening there. Yeah, so the, the beverage companies are definitely still fighting um, against this measure across the world, really. Um, and that's because across the world, more and more people are becoming aware of the impacts of the overconsumption of sugar. Um, in Oakland, what we're seeing is we're seeing these signs pop up in grocery stores and corner stores that basically state that um, the Measure HH soda tax is doing what it's supposed to be doing uh, and it's trickling down to consumers and this is, you passed it, this is what you get and it's completely wrong. <laughs> um, it's completely wrong. So that's some misinformation that um, if you actually look at the signs, and, and we've been scoping these signs out a little bit across um, across the city, but definitely in multiple stores in East Oakland, um, they're posted and they don't necessarily have uh, a title or a name on them. So we, we are having a hard time understanding you know, specifically where they're coming from, but they're out there. And what we want to do is make sure that people don't get confused by that. That was a big tactic by the beverage company before it passed was that the, they confuse consumers. We're calling it a grocery tax, which it's not. Um, and, and this is, is a, a, a basically a continuance of that. So we want to identify, you know, we want to ask folks if you are 
go in your neighborhood and you see these signs, ask the store owner, you know, where did this come from? Um, we need help figuring out how to fight back against the beverage companies who are literally selling lies to our community. This is no different than, you know, what Philip Morris did back in the day. And so this, you know, they're actively, you know, spreading our propaganda to get people to continue, you know, because this soda tax basically affects their bottom line. And that's what it is. And they don't care what, you know, who who is affected, what is affected. They, that doesn't matter. Their bottom line is what's being affected. And so it's up to us to be able to demand that, you know, this money is being held accountable and this money comes, comes back to the communities that are being most affected. And that's why, you know, having farmers markets, having that community uh, breakfast, that, that community meal, that would do so much for the residents in East Oakland in particular. But, I mean, throughout Oakland, I think everyone can benefit through that. Also, workforce development, getting young people involved and to, you know, growing their own foods, getting the process of bringing uh, healthy foods to the table. People want to be healthy. You have to just give them the opportunity to do so, and they will uh, make the right choices. But it takes education, and, start, and it takes starting now. Francis, I'm going to interrupt again. I always pick you to interrupt. Uh, let folks know that if you have questions for the folks on any aspect of the Sugar Freedom Project, to give a call into the KPFA uh, studio, and that number is 510-848-4425. All right, Francis, let you back at it. So if there is a member of the American Beverage Association listening to this radio show right now, we ask you to stop. We ask you to actually, for, the, for once, tell the truth about the soda tax, that it's, it could be good for communities, it could help address these, uh, these health impacts that have ravaged communities of color for generations, um, that they should be ashamed of themselves for spreading, continuing to spread lies and, um, and putting up these signs and, um, and, and going after advocates whose interest is solely to have a better and healthier community. Um, so if you are, again, a member of the American Beverage Association, stop it. Uh, because if not, we will stop you from doing that because we care about our communities and we want to make sure that we live in healthy and vibrant and prosperous neighbors, neighborhoods. I am going to come back to the question of what is uh, happening in other communities, but let me just do the um, do the KPFA part. You are listening to Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA. I'm your host, Darlene Pagano. For links to any parts of this show, go to our website, kpfaapprentice.org, all one word, kpfaapprentice.org. And the call-in number is 510-848-4425. And now, uh, can, can you all give any stories of other communities, what the, what the um, process and outcomes have been elsewhere? I know this is all very new, but uh, any, any other uh, stories are welcome. 
Yeah, so Berkeley, the city of Berkeley actually passed their soda tax or sugar uh, sweetened beverage tax about two years ago. Um, and what we've seen from that is we're seeing income com come in uh, to the school system, to gardening programs, uh, and really impact the community in Berkeley. Now, Berkeley is smaller than Oakland, um, and so the revenue is a little bit different. But the way that their process was put together, they have a commission as well. Um, they came together to decide what they wanted that revenue to go toward, um, and that revenue has been going toward those those programs and projects that in the long run are going to create healthier communities. So right here in Berkeley, there's a great example of soda tax, and it actually, um, Berkeley is setting the stage for the success, how soda taxes can be successful around the country. What did you say? Yeah, there's also been documented here in Berkeley as well that there is a decrease of soda consumption in the first couple of years of, um, of the implementation of the soda tax. So just to, give you, just to give you a sense, if we were able to decrease soda consumption in Oakland by 10%, just by 10% from our current levels, that we will be uh, saving about 500 people from getting diabetes. That's 500 families um, just because we are able to do the education, the alternatives that folks are actually uh, looking for. So this is not just numbers. These are not just kind of um, um, stats uh, and experiences of, uh, of campaigns. These are families. These are individuals. My personal thing is I had a brother who died of diabetes. He, he was 60 years old. And he was, the last 10 years of his life was in a wheelchair. So I understand personally the, the experiences and the, the difficulties of caring for somebody afflicted by diabetes. So this is not a, um, um, this is not an esoteric exercise for some of us. This is real life and death stuff. This is the health of our families. And, and, and more broadly, this is the health and well-being of our communities. So we want to make sure that this is an opportunity for families and communities to get better, to get healthier, but also to be empowered so that we can deal with all of the various uh, stresses, stressors and issues that confront our communities so that we can have that healthy life. So that's what this opportunity that Oakland Soda Tax presents its. Uh, to us at this point. And with Berkeley, um, over a million dollars over the you know first nine months of, of that implementation, we went back to the schools for uh, school-based nutrition programs and community-based uh, programs to really teach young people about the dangers of sugar and this healthy uh, lifestyle living. And so for me, being a resident in Oakland and growing up in, in the Deep East, there is a, a, a food desert, there's a food swamp, however you want to call it. There's a lack of healthy, accessible foods. And so, the you know, what I remember growing up is just an overabundance of liquor stores and fast food joints, and those things still exist today. You can look down 73rd um, Boulevard in Oakland, and you can I can name at least seven different, um, you know, fast food restaurants off the top of my head that are just that on that street by itself. And so you just had, you know, the lack 
lack of, um, you know, healthy, affordable, um, you know, uh, foods. And so we had to, you know, travel. And um, at the time, my mom didn't have a car. And so that made it very, very difficult for us to, you know, to get healthy food. We had to go to the pack and save. We had to go to, uh, you know, Food Max and to these other, or uh, Food King, which is on uh, 90th International, and get, you know, high uh, fructose corn syrup or get things that were uh, heavily processed. And so we have opportunity now to, you know, to change that, you know, to correct that, that wrong and to be able to bring some healthy, uh, nutritious foods uh, to uh, communities where we stay. So we won't have to travel two, three, four miles just to get um, things that people can walk a block or two in other neighborhoods to get. And so that's that's what it is. It's really uh, uh, an injustice. You know, we need to make sure that's equitable for the for the underserved communities in, in East Oakland. I do want to recommend to our listening audience the report that was put out by these groups that uh, came together to form the Sugar Freedom Project. It's called Oakland Soda Tax and the Sweet Taste of Equity. Um, Lots of stories and statistics and eye-opening facts about uh, health disparities in East Oakland uh, in that report, and it is available online uh, from the Sugar Tax, uh, excuse me, the Sugar Freedom Project, and that will be another item that is linked to our website, and we'll give you the address on that again uh, at the end of the show. Just for a wrap-up of a minute or so, folks, anything else you'd like to say about your work, uh, and particularly your connection with the Sugar Freedom Project? So for Oakland Food Policy Council, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to collaborate in real time with partners who are on the ground um, and really moving food justice forward. Uh, for policy, oftentimes there's a gap, like I said before, and being able to actually bring people into the conversation, into the active uh, civic engagement process for us is, is a huge priority. So that is one of the biggest, um, one of the most exciting things for me is being able to close that gap as well as to implement, like I said, equitable policy that actually works for people. Um, we have our meetings every third Thursday of the month, and uh, they're open to the public. So anyone can come to those, um, and we welcome you. And for the East Oakland Collective, you know, being on the on the front lines, making sure that people understand what uh, about Measure HH is important, getting them to come out on December 11th to these meetings so that way we can be a part of the table. We want to have a seat there so that way we can have our voices be heard. So that is what we're doing with Sugar Freedom. Thank you so much for being here tonight. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week to Full Circle to hear about an amazing attempt at reconciliation by a man who fled Chile as a student under threat from the 1973 military coup. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical uh, d- director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. I've been your host this evening, Darlene Pagano, and thanks to fellow apprentices, Kat on the board, and Laura for the readings. Our tech ex- assistants are from our newest apprentice group, Sharon and Steve and Aria. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. La Onda Bajita is next. <laughs>